This is the Indian Players Podcast, Episode 4, October 26, 2015. Today we will be discussing NASADA, the North American Simulation Gaming Association Conference held in Seattle, Washington. Welcome to NDN Players Podcast. This is Gabe de Los Angeles, a member of the Snoqualmie Nation. And this is Dr. Jonathan S. Tomhave, member of the three affiliated tribes of Fort Berthold. And uh, my name is Tyler Prather, uh, Blackfeet Nation. I'm Jeanette Bushnell, PhD, member of the Anishinaabe Nation. And here we are talking to you again today on October 26th at about 12.30 p.m. over here in the fantastic moist weather of seattle washington well really edmonds but very moist today uh we're going to be talking to you about a little conference that went on by the name of nasaga or the north american simulation and gaming association now what is nasaga and what was kind of conferences was this well obviously by the the name is a little bit about simulation and gaming uh, it's one of the, the uh, longest-running gaming conferences in the world, somewhere a little over uh, 50 years of, of uh, rich history that's been portrayed both in the journal, the Simulation and Gaming Journal, but also as its conference for, for uh, a location where people were talking about this year about gamification, where we were looking to uh, join in the, with this national conversation, which really was a very international conversation with the, the kinds of attendees who were uh, um, there, and uh, with a really great flavor for Seattle, specifically in the area of coffee, but uh, it, uh, which they used for, for their gamification, which John and I can address more later on the, as we talk about their breakouts. This was a great uh, experience for uh our, for, for our group, for Indian Players Research Group as, as a networking experience, but also we also uh, we were also presenting there. Uh, our poster was on how to design games with equitable representations for all. Uh, obviously, a, 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 a poster design very true to the way that uh, all four of us like to work within our disciplines, um, and also very important to, in, uh, as far as a conversation goes with the way society has been shifting its own representations, uh, at least in the United States, we're coming up on Ferguson, Black Lives Matter, and, and, and uh, the movement of these uh, political machinations into game spaces and, and comic and geek spaces, which actually are having very, very uh, dramatic effects. Well, probably shouldn't call them dramatic. I mean, they're very important societal effects. Uh, uh, Considering talking about how um, the new Captain America, um, the new Star Wars 7 coming out, uh, and representation about these things being argued with who should or shouldn't be representing stormtroopers or whatever. But, I mean, all that aside, we're at Nausicaa talking about uh, our fantastic poster that was actually gone over very well. 
with the with at least a third of the people of the organization, the attendance coming out to the the grouping of posters that we had overall of at, at the because they uh, they divided up all the posters into two different locations, which was a very interesting uh, design process as as far as a convention could could have gone. Um, all told, though, the the fact is that we had a very well uh, attended set of poster sessions. And uh, Tyler and Jeanette, you, you guys had a lot to, to discuss with one particular or two, more than two um, organizations that came up and, and checked out our poster, right? This is true. Um, and we, we had a, we're, mostly we're talking with people uh, involved with simulation uh, in terms of training. And so it wasn't gaming per se, um, but it was really quite interesting to be talking with people from different countries and the concept of bringing social equity or equitability into a simulation and gaming space. Mm -hmm. um, the people that I talked to had never really thought about it, mm -hmm. um, which is of course why we exist, <laughs> is because we have thought about it. Um, our poster, um, do we want to talk a little about a poster right now? Yeah. Okay. Uh, first of all, I think what what I'd like to start out this conversation with is some of the artistic concepts of our poster because um, it's quite different than most posters that you will see at most conferences, certainly at most academic conferences. And from what I gather from Gabe's commentary on how it should look for business type uh, <laughs> conferences, we're really off the chart. Um, we started with something that we wanted it to look different because we're working in these ideas that are quite different from what people generally think of in terms of, of um, simulation and gaming. And to do so, rather than have lots of words or anything, we started with our lovely, lovely logo that Tyler Prather made. Thank you. Um, and then modified to specifically for this poster. So. And the reason I'm talking about all this is because I think our design really speaks to what we're all about, and that is to kind of change simulation and gaming culture, if you want to use that word, which is a real problematic word. But to just change, so when people see our poster, it looks different. Mm -hmm. And so immediately they say, you know, something different is going on here. Um, so we had not only Tyler's, um, our logo, the, the Northwest Coast Design Claw, uh, but we, we adjusted it to include some more pan-native pan ideas, specifically those of, uh, coming out of Hopi and a very uh, classic Hopi imagery of a circle with four quadrants. Oftentimes the Hopi has four, the Hopi symbol has circles or dots within each four quadrant and what we decided to do was to do with four colors, uh, a classic four color schema of native people, the black, red, white, and yellow. And medicine with- Medicine wheel. Well, medicine wheel, they can call it all kinds of stuff, yeah. But isn't that, isn't that like the typical to a lot of representations that we see in like people who are designing programs uh, for, for indigenous folk, the, the use of those particular four colors? Um, that's one color schema. Um, you, sometimes there's green instead of yellow. Sometimes there's blue instead of black. Often relates to four directions, which we really didn't get into, where white, and, you know, white is the north, blue or black is 
um, the west, yellow is the south, and east would be the other color, green. <laughs> or, I mean, not green, but red. Um, so we, we tried to move into that, adjusted the logo a little to really highlight that not only is this something different than what you're probably going to be seeing in an academic conference, different than something that you're going to be seeing in a gaming conference, and bring indigeneity into the space before we ever said a word, before e people were able to read anything on the conference. It was kind of like, here we are. We are four indigenous people in your place, and we're going to talk about our stuff. And uh, in, in addition to the arrangement, we also centering the logo right in the center of the poster instead of you know either top left, top right, like is um, typical. It really draws in the... Uh, a circular motion of reading the poster too, starting with testimonials, which is each of our own individual stories of interacting with these uh, systemic oppressive systems in gaming. And then uh, our, our future section and our uh, analysis sections in the bottom on systemic oppression and uh, you know the, the aspects of game and what there could be more to get to this equitable space in gaming and so, yeah, definitely, like, throughout the whole conference, um, our group and our presentation were really the only group or individuals I encountered who were sticking with this dialogue of cultural and racial uh, equability in gaming. And uh, it's, I, th I think it was there were even some points of conflict where people maybe weren't ready to have those talks about how they're gaming or they're simulating uh for business and whatever is, uh, is, is, you know, a part of a systemic system of, of racism. So very, very Western. Mm -hmm. I mean, for, for, for a, a conference that had, uh, not, not the, as a, a terrible critique on, on what we were encountering, but, uh, one of, uh, one of, of purely observation, there were all, it was a very international attended conference. Mm -hmm. Um, what surprised the, the, me the most was the fact that the, the content wasn't very international. They were certainly talking about things to a global context, right? I mean, a lot of the breakout sessions wanted us to conceive of how do our, how do our trainings, how do our games and, and things represent and interact with the systems in the rest of the world. But details of those rest of the worlds didn't seem to be very specific it was just a broader uh, cut to, to globalization a thing or the thing that i really noticed at this conference was well at least in the uh uh presentations in workshops that i was able to attend was a definite lack of people of color actually um being the presenters there was there was a lot of that in in terms of universalization uh, yeah. for for not to not to toot our own horn but certainly to to say that we were one of the most uh, underrepresented groups at this organization trying to represent a, a very important set of voices that aren't being talked about and and while while that is a a, a true demographic analysis. Uh, it is also important to say that that we were appreciated in some some yeah. circles. Like there were certainly the the uh, educators that were there, 
Um, and even some without being academics or educators, some people still said, thank you for providing this, this voice of, of pointing these things out, whether or not we were talking about uh, gendered interactions or, or ethnic and race ones. Well, as an example of that, too, is shortly after I got there mm -hmm. on the, the second day of the conference, and a woman came up and asked, you know, well, you know, what's your poster going to be about? And I said, it's about social equity and uh, from an indigenous standpoint. And her comment was, oh, you're going to talk about cultural sensitivity. And it's like, if I were a person lent to bases turning red, I would have been purple. I reacted so strongly. And Tyler, were you there? Yeah, I was, was going to ask you. She was in our group when we were doing uh, one of the breakout sessions. Oh, okay. I it was very difficult for me to keep my cool, if you will. But I had to say quite emphatically that no, we are not about cultural sensitivity. You know, this is not a sensitivity training for your multicultural uh, theoretical ideologies. We are indigenous people about to knock you off your feet. And there was a lot of that. I mean, uh, the, the, even going into spaces that were, quote, universal in, in, in some of the trainings. And, and, and they were definitely, uh, some of those breakout sessions felt very corporatized um, in, in, in their approach. Not that there's anything particularly wrong with that, but there's certainly inherently one, it's only one type of worldview and practice that could have been illustrated about. Right? For, for a conference that is 50 years old and stepping into a, a, an intersectionality of both the corporate, the academic, and you know the, the everyday social, the, the, the conversation still really wrapped around um, you know that just one practice we're, we're, we're a majority of it. It yeah. was a majority of it. And what was a little concerning then is that it was being extrapolated and people were starting to talk about education mm -hmm. and educational practices. So we're, we're coming from a training simulation, place yeah. and then it was saying oh well we can use this in our k through 12 education which was really <laughs> scary um because it's like your your base here is not very robust and you're trying to then find things that you can take into a place that that has done a lot more thinking about the issues that are near and dear to us at least um that was a little disconcerting but not but not overly so they were there were a lot of people who were still receptive to both our sessions and our and our ideas and uh, the what it was really demonstrating it was like we really ought to be at the next one we really ought to continue on to have these conversations and spur people internationally to have these conversations that relate to where we come from as indigenous folks right that the the importance of engaging academically or business-wise with representations that are more than just oh you filled out the demographics in our in our our business format very correctly means that we could actually have room to to be more than just the cutting edge the, the necessary edge to to what what academia and and simulation and gaming really should be touching on and oh well, i absolutely agree and after going to this it made me realize that i think that this is one of the primary purposes for our our business and our, should be part of our business model is to be going to these places 
where our voices have never been heard and to just be there to, like you say, a largely receptive audience um, to share ideas that they simply had never thought about, uh, which of course gets into conversations about privilege and what have you and stuff like that. Yeah, um, and you know, that just really, this is the second year they've done any, I guess, more formal academic type of event, you know, with our, the poster session that we participated in. I think being there really at the beginning, you know, of this process for this 50-year organization, you know, really taking that turn towards the academic analyses of simulation and gaming, and that in its second year, we were there uh, presenting about, you know, these issues in gaming. And if we keep going, you know, there'll we, we can guarantee that there, that dialogue will be there throughout the entire process that it grows in this academic circle. And, you know, we can, we can really reach a lot of people who, you know, would benefit from that, you know, and this organization, I think, will definitely benefit from it. And it'll be great, you know. I'd also like to spend a little time today, if possible, talking about the specifics of our, our poster. Yeah. I think Ty um, kind of started it. So... Um, the, the idea was to um, help game designers and people designing simulations. Um, so, for example, there were people who were um, from all over the world doing trainings for employees or trainings for professional people or trainings for professional students, and they're creating simulations. And, um, of course, they're simulating based on who they are and what they know right. and not knowing much. And so one of our driving forces for this poster was we can help you design your simulation in your game to uh, be more socially equitable. And as Tyler pointed out, we had four quadrants on our poster and after a lot of discussion, set it up so that the I, which we normally read top to bottom, left to right, uh, began with testimonials. And we each... Uh, put together a short testimonial of how we feel when we're in a gaming or simulation setting and we are not, either we are not represented or we're represented in a very oppressive kind of way. Um, of course, being female <laughs> in a gaming setting, um, there's lots of fodder for myself. Um, and in most games, you look at any parameter, you know, race, age, ability, um, heritage, skin color, you name it, language. Uh, there's a lot that can be said. So we each basically primed the audience with this is the problem and here are our testimonials to point out what the problems are. And then we moved down into a rather academic conversation about systemic oppression. So we see the testimonials were individual cases of how this oppression these oppressions impacted each of us. And then we talked a little bit generically about systemic oppressions, uh, how ubiquitous they are. Uh, one of the more important concepts, I think, of systemic oppressions is that they're about the results that you get from systems, not about the intent. And so oftentimes you'll get people who are very, their intent is very um, well-meaning very benign, very inclusive, but if they're involved with a system that oppresses, um, 
it doesn't matter how well-intentioned one is, the results are telling. And a classic, classic case would be uh, when the war on drugs was begun, we had drug legislation that had systematized uh, variable uh, punishments for crack cocaine versus powder cocaine with the result that um, a very large number of black males are in prison uh, for using cocaine when in fact a very large number of white people are not in prison. So th that's an example of systemic oppression. The system was set up um, so that you had the result of something uh, that was not equitable. Uh, from there we moved into when you're living in a society that has systemic oppressions built into it, uh, no matter what your intent, you will tend to reproduce those oppressions in anything that you do. And for us in the gaming and simulation world is how do these systemic oppressions then get reproduced into games and products? And of course, we can all talk a long time about, you know, pick a game, pick a simulation, and there's going to be oppressions in it. And then lastly, we talked about what are our visions, what could visions for the future um, become? How could this change? How could this be different? In what ways can we um, do exactly what we said, uh, design games uh, with social equity in mind? And why it's important. And why it's important. I mean, the, 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 a lot of what... Um, I wanted to, to address with both uh, my, my own personal work, since I had a, a number of other posters and, and uh, presentations there, um, that uh, we, we start talking about uh, the importance of taking apart simulations and games as places where we're doing informal learning. Um, that it's not, while it can be a part of a formal training session, oftentimes that we don't consider the design an impact of a game as a teaching tool, uh, you know, at least for, for common end-use consumers, right? Like not everybody wants to learn from Tetris. Not everybody is looking to, to, to understand the practices of Japanese RPGs and you know, what it's teaching us. But um, as, as uh, academics and as, as you know, consumers of the same culture, we're still wanting to set, critique that even while we're enjoying it. You know, we're, we can still uh, love the crap out of you know, playing hours and hours of Fallout or Rifts or, or uh, you know, just, cr you know, the crazy amount of time that, that we all have consumed and played of video games. Jeanette doesn't do this. Just want to add that. Except, <laughs> except when she is. And that just made it really loud. <laughs> <laughs> but the, that whole notion that we, we are doing this because we want to change the way everybody else consumes games, you know what? Yes, we do want to change the way everybody else consumes games. And at the same time, we also want to enjoy the things that are, are being produced, whether or not we're, we're, we're uh, critiquing it or not. We still want to enjoy it. We love playing these games. And so just kind of what you were saying, I think not necessarily changing games like entirely, but at least changing what the standard is. Like, I think that's really important is because when we when we look at what the standard for a game is, it is, you know, 100% off of our checklist of what a systemic oppressive system is. 
you know, we want to change that system and that standard. Because, you know, you, you will always have games where if you choose your game to be set in, you know, medieval, Middle Eastern setting, you're going to have these oppressive systems in there. It's all about how you manage and mitigate those things. But, you know, that doesn't need to be the standard, mm. you know, the, yeah, so just changing the standard. Well, or if you're not, so, um, after, of course, much of what happened was at dinners and coffee, not part of the conference. Right. Um, and so if you're not going to have social equity embedded as a standard to at least call it out uh, and name it what it is. So I think uh, Tom was talking about those games, Train. Tom Fenwell. Tom Fenwell was talking about a game, Train, where people played the game and it was all about the, the European Holocaust uh, where Hitler killed off Jewish people. And he wanted to do something similar with the slave trade of the 1800s. Um, as a way of learning, so it's like that. Well, there's a, there was a perspective on on the train one, where you're 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 moving train boxes and not knowing what the context of those train boxes and there are, and you're just manipulating a system of railways and and moving trains, and then at the end, it's revealed that you were delivering uh, people to Auschwitz. In, in the in that particular train scenario and so he wanted to utilize that kind of surprise aha twist mechanic to play with people's moralities and say oh I shouldn't have been doing this I need to think about the context of contents within those things yada 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 right and so I uh, the, the, there's a couple points one is that we play these games with no aha moment so it's like there's no change in in the standard um, but even when there is a aha moment, I, I'm I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced yet that that's that the aha is going to shift. Uh, well, or that you know, that it gets really complex and really really complicated when you're trying to bring social equity into some of these big big conversations in a game. It's like you have to drop stuff off. Mm -hmm. So, like the obvious thing in the the slavery thing is. How can you talk about 18, the slavery of the 1800s without talking about contemporary human trafficking? Mm -hmm. And so then all of a sudden, yes, you have a ha-ha from this historic event, but now you reiterated that slavery was a thing of the past and uh, made it invisible that it's a contemporary kind of thing. And so you know, what standard, as Tyler was mm -hmm. saying, has not changed? in this game design. Yeah, and actually when we were talking with Tom about that, um, we had told him, do you want to go ahead, John? Keep going. I, I don't have to be in this podcast. No, <laughs> <laughs> yep, continue. Uh, it was just that it was brought up that, you know, you could just change it from the 18th century, you know, slave trade to modern human trafficking, you know. In regards to mass communication, um, while there are those that will say that anything that is produced, let's say, from the United States, which, uh, by the way, our best estimates are that 50% of what we produce is a, a popular culture product, uh, is just harmless, mindless fun. However, uh, people who have been critical of it are claiming that, no, that's not it. It's actually exporting our our culture as a cultural product. Uh, it's hitting whatever vehicle, airways, internet, so on and so forth, that's actually starting to influence uh, how other cultures are supposed to act and react. And, you know, and, and, and uh, 
we can see that, especially within our own uh, our own productions. Uh, for example, in three hundred, and both in uh, uh, Braveheart, uh, in both those films, the main characters were pushing for freedom and so on and so forth. But the question we have to ask is, what concept of freedom are they talking about? Is it a freedom? Uh, it contextualized within those time periods, or is it a modern sense of freedom? And and when we start really looking at that, we we, we see that any film that is produced, and this is not just us, so I, I don't want to indict just the United States, but you can see that that these popular culture products are actually pushing an agenda. And and while we can see that there are there are people are pretty smart and they can see through this veil not everybody of course but they can see through the veil but it's not it's not just media that that needs to have that conversation like the, 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 it was a uh, what a, a a kids textbook recently in the last few months where they we were call, what were they were calling undocumented workers or some some crazy shit yeah, like that that was out of texas yeah where they where they were uh, and a mom called them out called the whole textbook making company out so that the the importance of of uh, shifting uh, the, the 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 history uh, into a contemporary theory of, of of values that that aren't that weren't a part of what was happening in those historic spaces weren't if we need to we need to keep it real to what was going on in the context of the time. So that notion of slaves not being slaves in a historical context and what that really means when we teach each other about that? Are you, are you meaning, are you pushing back on the notion of not labeling the people slaves? No, I want, to, I want them to call, that, that a book should be calling them, them slaves because that's, then the 1980s, no, not in 1980s, the 1800s slave trade was that. It was a slave trade. Right, but I think, as I understood it, Jonathan was, was saying that it, it's probably more useful and more accurate to say they are enslaved people. Yeah, and, and Gay was talking about that the textbook completely just, potentially saying this, whitewashed the, that entire aspect right. by calling them undocumented workers. Right. And since it's from Texas, and Texas is such a large state, they influence textbook uh, publication. I mean, they're like one of the big states that does it, California also, but it's because of just the size and, and the population. So. That's why it's particularly dangerous. Is when they when they rewrite history that way, then it can spread out the, through the entire country. Right, not even just history. I mean, we're right. also talking yeah. about climate yeah. change is yeah. being taught in the same way, very very whitewashed. Uh. Well, okay, so I might have been reading it wrong, but that that brings up another uh, another point of conversation. If we think back of some of Stuart Hall's writings about representation, and so. Um, reiterating what's going on, you toss in a little lack off in Del Heim's work about language, and all of a sudden to say this body is a slave is a different conversation than saying this body is an enslaved person. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a very um, is a an idea that we should always keep very superficial and on the surface so that we can constantly check ourselves because it's heard differently. Um, so I like the, I mean, I'm all for talking about enslaved people because it connotes an action, but maybe that's because I think in an indigenous way and our languages are more action-based and less noun label-based. Um, anyhow. 
Well, uh, to that point, it also speaks to the the consent of the matter. To be enslaved isn't consensual, whereas uh, terms I've heard in textbooks I read when I went through high school, not, you know, five, six years ago, is indentured servitude, mm-hmm. you know, which is more so looked at as you go up to someone and say, hey, you need to give me some money and I'll be your slave for the next five years, you know, um, and there, there are points in history where you know, indentured servitude was a thing, you know, even in, in Viking culture, but, uh, um, you know, bringing that up in the, you know, Southern states where slavery was rampant, talking about indentured servitude really takes away from the context and consent of the matter of slavery. And so, and it, it, it was all told still a really great conference. Mm-hmm. Um, for for us to be at, and the the fact of the matter is, like the, this erupting discussion that's coming out of us right now is is really a context for uh, the conversations that need to continue to happen at Nasaga, at Isaga, at at any place where people are creating teachable moments. And to to reflect on that, I I would wonder and, and pose this out to everybody here. Um, what what do you what would we have done differently, knowing knowing now after after having been at the conference and what it was going to be like? Would, would we have shifted any language, or perhaps uh, changed any of the context of the the poster? The only thing that I can imagine doing differently is not having it a poster, but having it an actual presentation. Um, I mean, poster presentation. Well, for one thing, the way that it was set up with the posters, supposedly being in separate restaurant area. I mean, it was, it didn't work. Um, You know, if it were a poster presentation in a large meeting area where there's posters all over the place and people could have walked around, I think it would have been fine as a poster. But given the structure of the conference, next year I want to have the exact same content, only I want to be able to tell it to everybody because I don't feel like it was disseminated except as us individually in all those sessions that we went to. Uh, I, I agree very much with Jeanette. Um, you know, instead of doing a poster, just, you know, uh, hosting a session where we speak uh, about the content of our poster and other work that we're doing. Um, and really just, you know, that that's it. <laughs> I would say the same, but I would think maybe because this is about teaching things that we somehow develop a simple game that actually teaches, operationalizes what we're doing, you know, since that's what they were do, that's since what a lot of things there were about was about game and gaming simulation, mm-hmm. that that could be one of the many things we have on one of our many burners, right. you know, are the plates that we're spinning or whatever other labored, you know, metaphor, metaphor we want to use. So get on that tie. I'm putting it on my list. And Gabe's. Because yeah. now, now we have, uh, thanks to thanks to this conference, really a plethora of uh, developing games now that that we want to be working on, and and I think that was a, a real real advantage to to having been in this space was the fact that now we're taking a look at the way we want to do things and be and call ourselves game designers as much as game consumers, and that. And game critiquers. And game critiquers. And that, that in and of itself 
was really a fantastic advantage of, of having been at this conference. I don't know, uh, you know, extend my appreciation to, to David Austin Phelps and, and Tom Fenewald, uh, who were uh, my connections into getting us into Nasaga, David, who, who told me about it, um, and then introduced us to Tom and, and all of Tom's associates. That was a fantastic, fantastic piece of, of uh, joy as, as we continued to spend time with one another. And then the, the best session, arguably, was the session that we got to have uh, outside of, of uh, the conference, but with you know some of the attendees uh, to to do our own game jam, yeah, and that was great. it was so much fun to 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 really uh, have the space to 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 design games as a community, you know, in and of our, our, ourselves, but also have access to people who have already been on that journey of how do we they think about. Um, and it shifted certainly very, very much for us dramatically about how we want to start producing uh, a series of games um, or even a, just a, a whole content world where that, those games occur in. Um, you know, you'll, we'll talk about these things more in the future as these things uh, erupt into it. But I also want to say um, uh, that all, all, you know, all told, I, I look forward to doing it again. I want, I want us to go and hit up uh, Nas Isaga, uh, the Isaga conference in 2016, which they announced will be over in Melbourne. Awesome. Yeah. I'll check it out. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's hit up the websites and take a look at what perhaps, what kinds of calls for proposals we want to jump in on. And, uh, because I actually have to save money. Yeah. Do you know when? Uh, I don't think, no, it wasn't announced when, when I heard that there was going to be Isaga 2016, but, uh, just that it was in Melbourne. And I think that'll pretty much just wrap us up for the Nazca debrief for 2015. Uh, it was fantastic uh, that uh, Nasaga had uh, chosen Seattle for its given location for the very first time. And we look forward to seeing what else Nasaga is going to have uh, uh, for us in the next future uh, iterations of their, their conference and design. And hopefully we'll uh, have influence what they go on in to do next year. Thank you.